0: Hi, this is Sheetal Seth and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense, it felt like a like a warm blanket with a little bit of hot chocolate with some fun baileys in there as well. It's like comforting, a little bit of fun, got into some good stuff, we dished. I'm really pleased with our
1: conversation, so hope you'll take a listen. Hi, it's Kanika, and I'm back with a brand new season of That's Total Mom Sense, where I interview parenting experts, world renowned thought leaders, best selling authors, and trailblazing entrepreneurs on their incredible life stories and Mom Sense experiences. Hi, I'm Gabby
2: Bernstein, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. It's me, Bobby Brown, on Total Mom Sense. Can't wait to share my story. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. Pandemic or not, these
1: episodes will inspire you to make every single day count. Episodes release on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Join my tribe and subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode.
0: I found a huge gap in not just representation, but the right representation. And I found that the books that were out there were either inaccurate, culturally insensitive, or plain wrong. And I was tired of seeing books only about Diwali and Holi. And I'm like, (laughs) we have a lot of other stories. And again, we are kids and we should have books about the mundane as well as the extraordinary. Why aren't there books about us walking our dogs and having dinner with our family and all (laughs) of those things? Why
1: does it always have to be a thing? As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep, to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that Total Mom Sense. Today's episode is with a very special person. She is an actor, an advocate, and an author. Sheetal Sheet is known for her provocative performances in a wide range of memorable roles on film and television. She has starred in over 20 feature films and many TV shows and is a favorite in the independent film world, having won five Best Actress Awards on the film festival circuit she has earned a loyal international following. Sheetal began her career at a time when few South Asians were making their living as actors. Despite being told she'd have to change her name to work, her successful career has trailblazed paths for other women of color across media. Sheetal supports marginalized communities not only through her own pioneering work as an actor, but by also appearing at workshops and panels and speaking directly to issues facing these communities. She is known as an outspoken advocate and has delivered talks and keynotes at festivals and charity galas. She's had op-eds published on CNN, The Daily Beast, and Thrive Global. She served in President Clinton's AmeriCorps and is currently on the advisory board of Equality Now and an ambassador for CA First Partner Jennifer Newsom's The Representation Project. Her first children's book, Always Anjali, was published in 2018 to wide acclaim. It won the 2019 Purple Dragonfly Storybook Grand Prize, voted on by teachers and librarians, and is set to be a series, the first and only in this age group featuring an Indian-American hero. Well, Sheetal, you are a hero, and I'm so, so excited to be having our chat today. Thank
0: you. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. So let's start from the beginning. You know, we all kind of, many of us have this South Asian immigrant story. How is yours maybe different from the rest?
0: You know, it's interesting. I I don't know. I'm quite heavily involved in the community that is the South Asian world. And so I don't know if I would quite phrase it in the sense of how was mine different. What I would really say about the community is that we're not a monolith. And there are so many layers and nuances. And I only say that because it's constantly what I have to deal with in all of my jobs to try to tell people that we are not just one story. And so that's the point in the sense of like, we're all different, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, obviously we all have things in common, but in terms of our specificity and our family and each of our parents and, and family structure and dynamic and how we were raised and where we were raised, you know, all of those things go into who we are. And I have met so many people across the board that, you know, be careful what you assume. You never know yeah. you're gonna, who you're going to be talking to and what their experience is. And, you know, I with my work, I, I'm constantly talking to people. And now that I'm also in the children's world, I'm talking to families and to kids. And it has been pure joy because I feel like what I love most is talking to people and telling stories and 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 learning. And you know, I'm a lifelong learner. And so I feel like I learned so much through these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um been fun is being able to kind of be in the family world now and not necessarily just the adult world.
1: Right, right. But where did you grow up?
0: Just to give you some background, I was born in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. And then we moved when I was 12, which is like a very stressful time to move Mm -hmm. at that age to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is where my parents still live. And so I had, you know, quite a few of my formative years. We went to Catholic school since I was a kid up until we moved, would have continued if I hadn't moved. And then when I went to Pennsylvania, I started middle school in a public school and then continued through high school there. So it was, it's a very, it was a very different experience. um, And also being, having to move when you're basically a teenager is quite traumatic in a lot of ways. And then, you know, after that, you know, I I came to New York when I started going to NYU, but that's where the the stuff happened. Jersey and PA. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Where it all began. Um, And tell us about like your parents, siblings. Yes. So I have an older sister and a younger brother. My parents are very much the, you know, that immigrant story in that my dad is the oldest of five. My mom is the, is in, she is one of nine. She has six brothers and two other sisters. And my dad was the oldest. And so he came here, he came to America, to Utah of all places to get his master's. And then, and you know, this is back in the sixties. So the stories are, are fascinating. And then he, you know, went back to India and was introduced to my mom and had a very traditional kind of. I don't like to say arranged marriage because they're just kind of introduced and <laughs> got married. And, and, and she came to him and left everything and came here in the early 70s where there was no Patel brothers and um, no. people that really looked like us. They didn't, my mom didn't speak much English. And, and really, I, when I think back to what it was like for them, it almost makes me weep because it, I can't even imagine how they did it all. It, 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 it is unbelievable I mean, think about what we're dealing with now. This isn't like 15 fold when you think about what they had to deal with. And for us, I think what's been made easier is obviously like the life stuff and the necessity stuff and being able to like get groceries, the stuff that you want anywhere and that you have options for these things. And, but my parents were in a place where like, they didn't know anybody. They had no money. They were just trying to get through the day. Right. And all they cared about was making sure that their kids had a better life than they ever could have imagined. And that really for them was rooted in a great education. And so education was stressed very early on and was was the theme through my life and community education and community. My dad was really involved. He's one of the kind of founding members of the Hindu temple society where, you know, we spent a lot of time and yeah. created and fundraised and built a temple from the ground up that was inclusive. And at the time, mm. really, when you think back to when he did this, it was really revolutionary. It had several religions under one umbrella, you know, it was Hindu, Jain, Buddhist, and Sikh all in one place. And that's Amazing. really unheard of. Yeah. Yes. And um, so, you know, he was very involved in the community, as was I, you know, I was one of the youth founders of the youth organization. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my, my weekends were very much spent at the temple, Um, in service.
1: Oh, wow. I love that. Let's see. Okay. So you went against gender norms and pads that are tried and tested um, and you chose to pursue acting. Tell us about that moment in time (laughs) in your life.
0: You know, it was, it was rough. There's a lot of kind of parts to this conversation because I was very much the academic stereotypical Indian kid (laughs) Like my like I said, education was really stressed, and so that was the most important thing. I got great grades. I was at the top of my class. I actually spoke at my graduation when from in high school. And so the idea that I had, quote a lot of potential <laughs> and and for me to to quote thwart that, to go into something that wasn't, you know, recognized as necessarily at the same value mm. as some of the other traditional career paths that a lot of Indian people would end up taking was 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 tough. You know, also there wasn't anybody doing it right at the time. There was nobody out there that I could point to and say, well, they're doing it, they're doing it, they're doing it, they're doing it, they're doing it. Because so so out of love, my parents were terrified. They were like,
1: yeah. what,
0: what, is, what does that mean? Their only idea of it was Bollywood, which is completely different. Yes. And and so they're like, what do you even how do you even do that? You know? Um and so of course and, and I was nervous, but I knew I needed to to try. I joke. Is, I'm I'm 20 years plus in, and I'm telling you the amount of times I like see someone like still doing the acting thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh like, yeah, would you say that? Yeah,
1: like, to a doctor or something. Doctor I there, mean, yeah, that
0: person, you know. And it's just fascinating to me. Oh my gosh! I even have I have people in my family who call me. It's so funny. They they don't call my husband because they're like, we don't want to bother him. He's working during the day. We'll call you. And I'm like, what do you think? I'm? <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's because, because I don't have a traditional structured, you know, job. Yeah, Frankly, I would argue that it's harder for me because I have like a thousand jobs and it's all self-directed and self-having to do, but people don't get it. They don't, they don't know the day to day. And, and, and frankly, it's exhausting to try to explain it. Like I just, I can't after a period of time, um, but that is the artist's life. And, and I, I feel like all artists, I, I've, I've talked to so many in all different disciplines, this is a common thread and you just have to find a sense, yeah, I have gotten a sense of humor about it. There are not days where it's easier to laugh than others, but you have to make a choice about the lifestyle because it is a lifestyle. It's not mm-hmm. just a career. There's so much that goes into being an artist that I don't think people talk about enough Mm -hmm. And so that is something like when I talk and when I mentor and tutor, you know, that's something I I talk about all the time. And I always say like, you need to know that's part of it. And if you're don't, if you can't deal, which if you can't, you can't, then don't do it because I can guarantee you. There, there's, there's not a day that goes by that I'm like, I wish I loved something as much as this because my life would be far easier and I'd no. have less stress and I'd have job security and I'd have so many things that yeah. other people have, but I also know I wouldn't be happy. You know, If there yeah. was anything that made me as happy, I would do it in a, in a, in a flash. This is not a life I recommend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, not for the faint of heart at all. And no. let's talk about some of your films. Each of your films has an underlying message. Is there a role that you played that you still remember that you're just so happy you got to do?
0: You know, that's like asking who was your favorite kid. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's tough because I do. I mean, of course, there are experiences that I've had that have been more pleasant than others. But all in all, I, I would say that I'm really, really most proud of the fact that every film I've done is completely different from the other every single one has pushed the needle in some way, told stories that were not being told at the time by people yeah. who were telling them. And I was, I was, you know, it's such a privilege. I was asked to play stories based on real people, several of my films. And that is the ultimate privilege, you know, so those films where I actually told the stories of, of, of real life people, um, you know, there's an extra kind of Pressure on you, and also responsibility, and also like you're humbled by that, by that yeah. you know idea that they would pick you to want to tell that story. So um, you know, I I love them all. I mean, I've started to produce my own films now, and so there, I, I certainly have a, another level of investment and love in in those projects because um, I'm doing everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's I, I can't pick one.
1: Let's talk about your motherhood journey. How did you and your husband meet? So we, it's a
0: funny story for our friends um, and family. We met in college. He was my college sweetheart. We met when we were freshmen. We didn't start dating until the end of our sophomore year, but then we dated seven years. And wow. then I moved to LA and we were doing kind of the long distance by coastal thing. We were young and, you know, so we were on and off a lot um, mm-hmm. through those times. And then, you know, and we had a break for a few years and then um, we reconnected and I was in New York a lot more. So we kind of, you know, we have a lot of the same friends in New York because we went to the same college and we're together at that time. So a lot of people that I would want to see in New York, he's friends with. So we would end yeah. up and we were always like in touch in some way. You know, he's always been my first love. And then we reconnected and um, couldn't believe that there is like a new energy around it and spark. And so we, we kind of got back together and and it was surprising. I know it's, it's a really sweet story. And then, you know, we actually hadn't decided, we we decided we weren't going to get married and we were just going to be together and live our life. And, um, Stuff changed for him. And so he, we actually talk about this, you know, at our wedding, but he, I was living in LA and he surprised me out there and proposed. And I was stunned because we had talked about not getting married. So I'm like, well, <laughs> what is happening right now?
2: <laughs> I oh don't understand.
0: Goodness. And it became important to him and it was something that I did not care for. And so, but it was so important to him that I was like, okay, if you really want to, it's fine. But this was after now like 18 years of being in each other's lives. And I'm like, you know, what makes sense for us? And so we just went, we told our friends, we said, let's just go to an island in Mexico. And we found this resort that we were able to kind of rent the whole place out for our group. which was amazing. And we did like a weekend extravaganza, like four days, three nights. Everyone leave your kids at home, come and just party with us. And we got married right on the beach and it was really great.
1: And now for a quick break, brought to you by my brand sponsor, Homer. Hi, this is Kanika Shadha Gupta, founder and host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm
2: Stephanie Dua, president and co-founder of Homer. And this is At Home with Homer. Homer is the essential early learning program for kids aged two to eight. We have the most comprehensive app available for early learning skills that you can find on iOS or Google Play. And you can also find our really fun explore kits that help kids with their math, their reading, and social emotional learning that you can find on our website. LearnWithHomer.com.
1: On this weekly segment, we're going to cover a range of topics from raising confident readers to developing emotional intelligence. These are the
2: skills that will carry your child through school and life and resonate most when taught at home by you, their most important teacher. So grab a notepad, your phone,
1: or your mental notebook to remember the tips shared during this segment. And now on to At Home with Homer. All right, so this episode is on mental health and social emotional learning. So I know this is a challenge that so many families are facing. My kids are having a really hard time being cut off from their friends and you know their cousins and all during COVID. How do I help them navigate through these strange
2: times? Yeah. That's a great question, Kanika. And I know it's certainly top of mind for many moms and dads as they're really thinking and grandparents as they're really thinking through how to best support children. I like to say there are three things that I like to think about and advise parents to do as they're thinking about this kind of social, emotional well-being of their children. One is communication. Communication is so important. Two is helping your child find quiet moments. And three is like activities that we can do. So let's talk about the communication one first, because I think it's one of the most important things. I like to say that parents should have a daily check-in, something simple that they can do with their kids. At my on my dinner table, we do something called Rosebud Thorn. Rose is what you're really excited about that day. Thorn is what you weren't so excited about that day, and Bud is what you're looking forward to. And we can each take turns, and it's a nice, simple way of checking in with each other and communicating about how we're feeling. The second thing is really quiet time. Sometimes kids just need quiet time to process how they're feeling. One great idea is helping teach them how to do belly breath work or even finding like moments of mindfulness. It can be a mindfulness corner, a mindfulness blanket, a book, but just sort of quiet time for them to process their day. And then the third are activities there are so many great activities out there that can help kids explore their feelings or great books that you could get at the library or at your local bookstore and even for younger kids aged kind of three to six who might not be as verbal homer has these really really fun activity kits called explore feelings that do just that um, kids learn self-expression how to identify their feelings all through these kind of hands-on activities and prompts and that allows children to do something both fun, but also helps them check in with themselves and see how they're feeling. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: We hope you enjoyed this week's At Home with Homer segment. To download the app, visit learnwithhomer.com backslash momsense, M-O-M-S-E-N-S-E to receive your very own 60-day free trial. Your kids are going to love playing the games, watching the visual stories, and more. Now, back to the interview. Tell us about your journey with cancer. You are a fighter and you are a survivor. So tell us what happened and how that unfolded because you were a mom at the same time. And my heart breaks to think that you had to go through that so young and at such a pivotal time in your life.
0: Yeah, it, um, that word, you know, is something no one wants to hear. Yeah. Um, but it is more common than ever, sadly, as far as breast cancer, which is what I was the, uh, cancer that I was dealing with at the time. One in eight women will get breast cancer it is younger and younger. And I say my to my doctors all the time, I'm like, is it just me? Because in the last like six months, I've had so many people call me because they've had been diagnosed with breast cancer and they're all young. Right. And they're friends of friends and friends, you know, like, you know, just want to talk. And I asked my doctor, I'm like, is like, are you seeing this? And she was like, I don't have like data, data, but yes, women that are coming in are younger and younger and younger. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was a shock. It's certainly, you know, when you think of sickness, an illness of this degree you think at some point everyone's going to have something that they deal with, not at our age. And so the irony of all of this is that a year before I was diagnosed, my father was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was really, it's rare for men, obviously. Yeah. Um, And he was older and so it hit him pretty hard Um, because it's so rare for men. You know, they tested him for all the genetic pieces of it. And it came back that he had not just one, but two very rare genes, which people are like, this is like unheard of that they would have both. And so they said, immediately test your children, because if they have it, which is likely they will, they need to know because they'll probably get cancer. And so we all got tested and I came back negative. And I was sure I was going to come back positive, And I'd already decided, oh, if, I, if I'm positive, I know what I'm going to do. And this is what you hear when you hear of like these celebrities who like do these kind of prophylactic preemptive surgeries. It's because of that, because they have the gene, like Angelina and you she had the gene. So she's like, right. I'm just, I'm, I'm taking myself out of this. Yes. Com- yes. I, you know, I'm taking control. And that right. is a common thing too. So I had done all the research. I'm like, if I'm positive, like that's what I'm going to do. But I right. came back negative. Huh. And so I was relieved and I thought, okay, fine. A year later, I just normal, got out of the shower, doing my thing, putting on lotion. I just felt what felt like a pebble would actually, for anyone who was breastfed, it, feel, it felt like a clogged duck.
1: Yes. And yeah. I had,
0: and I had breastfed for a very long time. And I was like, maybe it's just like, there's some mastitis like this. or
1: something. Yeah, yeah. I was
0: like, maybe mm-hmm. it's something like that. But I hadn't gotten a mammogram that year. So I was like, I should just go because I want to make sure everything's okay. But not really. I mean, I really didn't think anything was going to come out of that.
1: Right, right.
0: Um, so much so I didn't know is that like the only appointment they had left because it was December of that year was like the Friday before Christmas break. My kids both had like school things because it was like the the celebration of like, you know, before the thing. So I went, I was like, I need a 7.30 appointment because I've got to be at schools at like nine and then like a whole thing. And I go there at 7.30, do the thing and everything's taking a lot longer than it should. And everyone's talking to each other. And I look at everybody just staring at each other. And I'm like, my heart is sinking and I'm like, what is going on? And then they finally tell me that it's suspicious and I need to get biopsied literally right away, like preferably just right then in that moment. And oh I was like, God. okay, first of all, <laughs> I wasn't, I was alone too, because, you know, I was just going for an appointment. Right. I was like, well, first of all, I can't do it right now because I had to be at my kid's schools and they're expecting me. Yeah. Um, and just give me a minute kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, um, but they're like, can you come back this afternoon? And so I went to my kids' things. I called my husband. I was like, I have to go for these biopsies. Still honestly didn't think it was going to be serious. And Mm. if I had known what it was really entailed, I would have absolutely had him come. Because he was like, do you want me to come? I'm like, no, it's fine. I'm just going to go get this thing done and it'll be fine. And I went and I had uh, three areas that they biopsied, which biopsies are very uncomfortable. And I had one technician who I thought really should work on her bedside manner because she could see how worried I was. And as I was leaving, she goes, don't stress. You could get hit by a car when you leave here. Literally said that to me, and I'm like, "Oh Is that my goodness!" To make me feel better. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so oh. bizarre.
0: You know, and I was in a sea of just like. At one point, I remember I called my best friend because I was like in a little closet changing into like a pink gown, and then walked into a waiting room where there's like 50 other women of all ages in pink gowns just waiting. And it was so uh, emotional and because it hit me and I'm like, wait, what's happening? And then I didn't know. And they called me on Christmas Eve and um, (sighs) said it was cancer. This was over the holidays. So it's extra hard to like Mm -hmm. do anything, but we're on the phone and we're calling. I mean, I'm so grateful because we do, I mean, one thing, one benefit of having, you know, a lot of Indian people in your life means you probably have a lot of Indian doctors in your life
1: and do. <laughs> yes. and, Second, um, third, fourth, fifth opinions
0: yeah, if you needed. Yeah. yeah. We've got, we've got we had a great support. I mean, I didn't want to tell, like I was like still processing myself, but the, the people that we told were specific and helped us a ton. And I was able to kind of figure out, you know, it's interesting. I have so much to say about healthcare after going through my my experience. Mm-hmm. But if I did not have a support system, I I can't even imagine what would happen. They don't tell you, like they call you and then they're like, okay. And then that's it. Like, they don't tell you, what do you do next? Like, what are the next steps? There's no one like helping you through the process. You pretty much have to figure it out on your own and find the doctors and find, because I'm like, do you recommend me seeing anybody? And they're like, yeah, here's a list, go to this site. You know, and so it's very... Wow. And impersonal and, and hard and really yeah. hard. And you're dealing with a very emotional thing on top of it. So it's, it's hard to navigate. I mean, I'm so lucky because I had a family and my husband was like a rock and came with me to every appointment, took notes, you know, cause I couldn't, I couldn't and everything I remembered was false, but then even said that, like take notes because you're not going to hear it the way it's right. coming out. Right. And, and you know, and I and I'll be very honest. My choice. I had a double mastectomy, and so I had a double. I had a double mastectomy. I had chemo. I had reconstruction. I went through a year of treatment. You know, I didn't have to have the double mastectomy. I chose to, um, and I made that decision because I didn't want to be worried for the rest of my life. And and you know, after the doctors presented the choices to me, and I told them what I wanted, they were like, "We would have done the same thing at like, your age. Your biggest risk is recurrence." And so. Right. You know, I didn't. I wanted to not. I mean, I'm already like paranoid about everything. The last thing I need is to like allow for something, which is quite likely. Yeah. Know, hopefully, because they said, hopefully, you have as many years to live as you've already lived. And so right, right. there's a lot of time for something to happen. So I'm yes. trying to re- take away as much risk as possible. And we did find that the cancer was an aggressive kind, you know. Right. And so I needed to just do everything I could that felt. That felt right to me. I mean, I, it, it's a tough thing for me. I'm very much a naturalist in the way of like, I don't like in medical intervention for most things. I, I don't even take a Tylenol unless I'm like on the floor for like mm-hmm. severe pain. I also had two natural births because of that. I didn't want any drugs in my body, um, which were the most painful things I've ever done in my life, but I'm so proud I did. And so like to then be told I had to go through chemo, which is literally putting poison in my body to kill every cell in my body, good and bad. It's a very tough thing to wrap your head around.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: But you do it. You do what you got to do.
1: Yeah. No, and I'm I'm glad that you made that sound decision of like eradicating any future risk. You know. Um,
0: I mean, it doesn't take yeah. away all the risk, but it the biggest risk with breast cancer is if it, if it comes back. And so right.
1: the breast, the
0: keeping a breast around for it to come in, yeah. you know, is tough. Whereas it can certainly recur somewhere else too. Yeah. But it's more likely, you know, in your breast.
1: How did you explain to your girls that mom and Nana are going through this?
0: Thankfully, it wasn't at the same time. But, you know, my kids were only two and four at the mm-hmm. time. So I will actually say the toughest part of this was after I had my first surgery, I wasn't allowed to hug them oh. for like a really long time. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. So, you know, when you have a two year old, And a four-year-old, all they want to do is like live on your lap. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That, that, that was the hardest thing, but you know, they're, they're tough, you know, and they, and they seem to understand things in, in the way that they do. And, you know, I'm all for having honest conversations with their kids. And I told them the truth, you know, I told them that I was sick. And that, you know, but I have medicine and it's going to make me feel better, but I need to do certain things in order for, to do that. I think it's interesting now. I mean, it's been a couple of years. So now I have a four and six year old. It's interesting because they don't remember me before that. And they'll see sometimes pictures of me because I have very long hair. You know, my hair starting yeah. to come back now, but I had like long, luxurious hair. Yeah. And they're like, mommy, like they they don't even remember me like that. And yeah. what's very striking is, you know, we just went away and um, we were, you know, I'm a very active person. We were in the pool. We're jumping into the ocean. We're running around. And they both looked at me and they were like, wow, mom, you're so fun. Like, it's so fun to do stuff with you. And then I realized that honestly, between COVID and cancer, because I was still in treatment when COVID hit, Mm -hmm. um, the last three years have been them seeing me like at home, either in bed or like, you know, doing basic things. like, we've been able to go out and do anything.
1: Right, Right. And,
0: and I'm so glad that hopefully they'll now once, we can do more like see me as like a person that is active and vital and healthy. And, you know, it's interesting. Cause they don't, it, these are things they model, you know, and I don't want them to think of me as like a sick person, you know, right, I don't even right. want them thinking about that. Although yeah. it's very, it's very aware. I mean, I'm quite aware of the fact that having a mom who has, who's had breast cancer and has to deal with that now, cause I'm on medication indefinitely mm-hmm. um, will be part of their narrative. It's just up to right. me how to frame that narrative. Right. And so, you know, they know I had cancer. They know that word. They know that some people pass away from it. And they yeah. always ask me, are you going to? And I said, thankfully, my medicine worked. And they're wow. like, well, what if it comes back? And I go, if it comes back, we'll deal with it. But there's nothing else. To, you know, at that point, like, it's just about, I think, being honest and simple. And yes. don't try to, like, complicate it.
1: Right, right. Wow, that's, um, that's really great advice for anyone who's going through that, especially a new mom
0: you know, cancer is something that hits people older. So their kids yeah. are grown and it's a different thing. But right. um, when you're, when your kids are that young, I mean, but that's also why I'm so grateful that I had my kids. Cause you know, that's why I can't yeah. have anymore because I'm on medication and mm-hmm. I know a lot of, um, and actually every doctor I met with, the first thing they said to me was like, are you trying for more kids? And I said, yes, I had been. And they said, you can never carry your own child ever again. And if you want more kids, you will need to use a surrogate. Like they were very right. clear on that because uh, pregnancy feeds cancer, and you know all of the estrogen. Oh, and that stuff, you know feeds it, so they were quite clear that that okay. was not an option. Okay. And so I have a lot. You know, I'm part of a support group, and something that's you know that I think about. I mean, I I, there's a lot of women who haven't had their kids yet, and mm-hmm. they have to make the choice of do I go off my meds for a period of time so that I can have my kids, and then go back on. And a lot of people choose to do that, and that's like a, you know you have to figure out what works for you, but it's, right. but I, you know, I was so grateful that I had to, and as much as I wanted more, I just accepted it and, you know, um, grieved it. And, and it's just one of those things that I've had to just let go of.
1: Yes. Yes. No. And their blessings all the same. And yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I want to ask if your daughters inspired you to become an author and, you know, how you made your foray into children's literature.
0: Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I was pregnant with my first daughter when I started writing children's books. Now, again, because I've always loved kids and I have a minor in education, like this is something, and I do so much work with children. Mm -hmm. Um, It had always been in the back of my mind, but again, your life, you're doing things, and it just there's never I never made time for it. But then when you're pregnant and you're like, oh not getting the acting jobs I want because I'm pregnant <laughs> <laughs> yes. and you're spending time like trying to like, I can't just sit around. So I'm like walking around and I was spending a lot of time just exploring and I'd find myself in bookstores, um, just reading. And then I started reading children's books. Cause I was like, I gotta get some books for the kid. And, right. you know, much like, you know, my acting life, I found a huge gap in not just representation, but the right representation. And I found that the books that were out there were either inaccurate, culturally insensitive, or plain wrong. And I was tired of seeing books only about Diwali and Holi. And I'm like, <laughs> we have a lot of other stories. And again, we are kids and we should have books about the mundane as well as the extraordinary. Right. And why aren't there books about us walking our dogs and having dinner with our family and all <laughs> of those things? Why does it always have to be a thing, you know? Yeah. So I just, you know, instead of continuing to complain about it <laughs> or I said, let me just see. And I just started writing. I had the time at the, at that moment and I just started writing and then I had my baby and I just, I just kept, it's something that I felt very connected to and I kept, it took me about a year before I actually showed it to anybody mm-hmm. and I showed it to a few people and I got great notes. And then I, and then I realized I wanted to kind of take a, take a, take a, stab at it. And so then I had to find, I didn't have a book agent and the whole publishing industry was a complete enigma to me. So I just tried to like figure it out um, Mm -hmm. as much as possible. So it was a few years. It took a few years before I found a book agent before we sold the book and here we are now. Yeah.
1: I know. Amazing. (laughs) It's really, really amazing. I want to share an excerpt kind of overview of one of the stories For Anjali, playing the tabla is something that comes naturally. She loves the feel of the drum beneath her fingers and getting lost in the music. But when the boys in her class give her a hard time for being better than them, she messes up on purpose. When her teacher announces a contest where the winner will get to perform with him at his next concert, Anjali is perplexed. Winning the contest would be a dream for Anjali, but it seems like the better she gets, the meaner some of the kids are. In this follow-up to Always Anjali, Anjali realizes that she should never let anyone make her feel bad for being good at something, an important story for all children to remember to never dim their light. It's so beautiful. Um, Wow,
0: thank you. That's the one that's coming out. It's available for pre-order now. You can go to alwaysanjali.com and follow the pre-order links. And, you know, it's beautiful. I'm really proud of it. It's like, we just got the final PDF of it this week. It's going to the printer. Amazing. Um, I'm working on the third book now. And, you know, it's, I'm just really proud that, you know, people will have a collection of Anjali stories in their home.
1: This is so great. Yes. Tell us about a mom sense moment that you've had.
0: I remember this with ember with my first like the first six months of her life i was just overwhelmed i didn't know what i was not that anyone ever knows what they're doing but i was no, like yeah, what what's yeah what's happening figure it out as you go yeah um and i remember i was like i went to sleep one night like in tears about something and i had a dream and i remember it so vividly she came to me in my dream and said mom you're doing great <gasps> I know it was the sweetest oh, thing. Like, I, I get it. I get so emotional thinking about it. And I'm like, okay. Like, you just, like, these are the little, like, graces, you know? Yes. Wow. And I think that's all we can do, though, is like be honest. Like, I tell my kids all the time, like, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Like, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and, and that's the thing, like, teaching them that. We don't know, you know. Yeah. And, and my my kids are at the point where like adults know everything. I'm like, no, we don't, <laughs> you know. And um, we just I, I just try to like make everything into a place where I'm just honest with them. I don't lie to them, you know, like religion and God and spirituality is constantly coming up, especially because of my culture. And I'm just honest. Mm -hmm. And it's to Mm -hmm. the chagrin of most of my in-laws and my parents and family, but I tell them all the time. I'm like, I don't know if it's true, but this is what some people believe and you can believe what you want. And so I just try to be honest about everything.
1: Oh, I love that. That's so refreshing. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Okay, is there a quote that you live by?
0: One that I always think about is do what you love, love what you do, and always deliver more than you promise.
1: Oh, wow. And
0: I just feel like that has certainly been like a mantra for me in the sense of like, always delivering more than you promise, you know, showing up, just blow them out of the water, dazzle them, give them more than they could have ever imagined because we're underestimated a lot.
1: Yes, oh my gosh, I love that you... Think that and you're you commit to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Take the um, extra, I mean that's what I'm saying, like put in the extra time.
1: Yeah. 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 It's now time for mom haul when we share products we love. So is there a product that you are like using every day, loving right now?
0: I I mean, depending on like what area of life, it just mm-hmm. depends. Um, I, you know, food-wise, I mean we're plant-based in this home. And so um, I'm always looking for like alternatives that are healthy, clean, you know, and everything. And at, you know, it's interesting in the last few years, I've also tried to shift, you know, even stuff that we use to clean stuff in the house. Like I'm just trying to, there's alternatives now for things. And I very much believe my cancer, there's no way of knowing, but came from the environment and stuff because I know it wasn't genetic oddly enough, because it would seem like it was. Yeah. And I, you know, and I was the poster child of a healthy lifestyle. I've been, you know, vegetarian since I was 14 years old. I breastfed my kids had two natural births. i work out every day. Like there's, you know, yeah. I, there's nothing that I'm doing that would make sense, you know, which only tells you that there's all these other things around us that are not good for us. You know, yeah. the water we drink, the air we breathe, all of us, you know, and, yes. and why it reacts in some people versus others is different. And so for me, Stress and my self care has never been a priority. And I and I think that's partly why I got sick, you know, and mm-hmm. so I've tried to so for me, it's about literally if I don't like have a schedule where I've carved out time for myself, it won't happen. And yeah. so if there are things I want to do, which is meditate, exercise, um, so that I can be, you know, have the self-care as a part of it, then it doesn't happen. So I really do. I mean, I, one thing I do for myself is the night before, I mean, I, the, every Sunday I kind of map out my week and then every night I, I, I map out my day, like Mm -hmm. literally down to the hour. So that then when my day is done, I leave my phone in my room and I can just be with my kids so I can have that little time before, you know, dinner, bath, sleep that is my time and I don't apologize for it. Like I used to be available all the time and now I'm like, I'll check my phone after. And I leave my phone in my room because I just don't want my kids seeing me on my phone all the
1: time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And so it's really about for me, the kind of like the mom stuff of it is like creating the world you want to live in. And it's up to you because time is a construct. So it's up to us to just figure out how we want to spend it. It is the most precious commodity, you know, what you decide to do with it will determine your life. And so for me, and everyone works differently for me, like I have friends who are like, I can never schedule and I don't want anything structured, et cetera, et cetera. For me, Mm -hmm. I need that. And so I I figured that out and I know that. And so it's the only way I kind of feel like productive because otherwise I'm sitting there thinking about everything I didn't do all day. So (laughs) I have to really, (laughs) because again, when you're an artist, it's never ending. I know. Constantly thinking, I have notebooks like in my bag, in my home, in every room, because I'll have an idea at yeah. any moment and I don't yes. want to forget. So I'm writing it down, you know, and then I just leave it there. Cause at least it's not like, cause I'm not like, Oh my God, I remember, I have to remember, I have to remember. Yeah. Be present, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have notebooks everywhere where I just like write down my thoughts.
1: That's so cool. I love it. Okay. And where can my listeners find you?
0: So, you know, I am on Twitter at Sheetal Chef. I am on Instagram at Beneath the Sheets with a Z. Um, I'm on Facebook, official Sheetal Chef. Um, I mean, if you put my name in, I'm sure it'll all come up. Yeah. Uh, my website is com. I, there is an email if you want to send me a message, if you want to just say hi, if you want to talk to me about coming to your kid's school, I do tons of school visits and virtual events. I also do workshops with parents, all kinds of things. Feel free to drop me a line if, if that is of interest or just say hi. I like yeah. your books and your movies. That's always nice. <laughs> it's awesome. always a, that's always yeah. a welcome, um, something to get in your day.
1: Yes, yes. And I know a lot of my listeners um, can say that. So that's wonderful. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chito. This was really, really great. I'm so glad we got to have those poignant moments and and have you open up. And I really, really appreciate um, you sharing your story. Thank
0: you. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's it's I think important for all of us to whatever we're comfortable sharing, it's only going to make us better. So better for us, better for all of us, our families, the planet, all of the above.
1: Isn't Sheetal like a ball of sunshine? She's so smart and is helping parents change the narrative of displaying diversity in kids' libraries in such a simple, authentic way. Her book, Always Anjali, is the grand prize winner of the Purple Dragonfly Award and won first place for cultural diversity and first place for picture books six and up. It was recently featured by The Conscious Kid, commemorating Api, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander authors, and was read by renowned chef and television host and mother, Padma Lakshmi. You can view those on Instagram. Uh, They're at The Conscious Kid, Padma Lakshmi, and Beneath the Sheets, which is Sheetal's account. Shout out to her publisher, Mango and Marigold Press. Big hugs to the founder of the publishing agency, Shailaja Joshi. She's a a friend of ours. Support her business uh, as a woman of color. And uh, you can log on to her website, mangoandmarigoldpress.com. And you will find Sheetal's Anjali series there. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave me some love by writing a review on Apple podcasts or Spotify. And you can send me a screenshot that you did so and send it over to that's total mom sense at gmail.com. And you could enter to win some very cool merch. I now have that's total mom sense sweatshirts, tanks, and mugs. And they're all ideal for a cozy listening experience. Remember, always trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. See you next time. That's total mom sense.